0: And uh, we've talked this year about this vision of as above, so below, which is this idea that uh, if if you have a tree... Um, the the canopy above the ground has to match the root system below it. And so the life below needs to be equal to the life above. And so we're calling each other this year, if we are people with a deep uh, sense of intimacy with God, to make sure that our own time with God also spills over into bearing fruit in our communities and making change. But for those of us who are maybe more activist wired, or it's easier for us to do stuff We're we're asking let's all go deep as well and make sure that the root system that supports the action we do um, is big enough so the whole thing doesn't sort of fall over. And so we've been talking about that this year. And I want to just frame up the series for the next few weeks. Why the series? Well, I think um, the church and the people of God have always had trouble with this paradox of life and death. It's something we understand about what it is to be a Christian. Uh, There's a verse where, where Paul says, We carry around the death of Christ within us so his life may be made evident. This kind of confusing contradiction that we're simultaneously dying at the same time as we are coming alive. Um, and so, generally, what you sometimes sort of have is you might have churches who are really charismatic and pumped up, and they're all about the life and the victory, brother. Can I get an amen? You know, amen. Um, you know, and uh, and I, I have I have a friend who went along to one of these churches, and he went through a really horrible situation where his his, uh, his wife cheated on him, his marriage fell apart, and at first the pastoral care of this church was really amazing, they got around him, they were like, bro, we're here for you, and then about two months later they're like, oh, are you still going on about that? Like they couldn't handle the prolonged death, they were waiting, they are like, can't we get back to the victory again, can't we get back to the life flip, and heck, it's been eight weeks, you know? And, and so there are some who embrace the life and can't do the death, but I would say for Blueprint, we've spent a lot of time becoming a community who can support people who are struggling or people who are in pain and becoming a place where it is okay for you to be in a hellish time in your life. But sometimes what that means for us is that we get to a time of life and we don't even see it. Sometimes we get to a time of life and we've framed everything so much in death that we continue to read the death narrative into times of life in the way that another community might always try to read the life narrative into times of death. Um, and I think when we're talking about like the seasons, you know, the scriptures are full of these seasons we go through. Like it doesn't actually work to dress for summer in a snowstorm, you know? Like that's actually really dumb. And so what I think God would lead us to is is to have the correct posture before him for the season that we're in. So in those times of death, those times of struggle, yes, let's struggle. But when there is joy and there is fruit and there is life, then let's celebrate that. And I think a challenge to us as Blueprint is sometimes it comes to the time of life. And we're so used to the melancholic death narrative that we don't kind of know what to do with ourselves. And we keep trying to read it through that. Anna and I went to a comedy show a couple of weeks ago. Um, this guy, um, Raven Khan, some of you guys would know of Rabin Khan, eh? Um, we went along to the show, and he went on this big rant about how much he hates Christianity and religion. He said, you must be small-minded if you believe that stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then he said this very profound thing from someone who doesn't believe in God. He's like, you know, I think we live in such a politically correct world today that if Jesus were here right now offering healing, nobody would accept it. Because so, so i I'm, I'm not actually... No, I'm not actually disabled. I don't want healing. The the world around me has disabled me. Or, or, or no, 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 I'm not, I'm not actually... I'm not actually depressed, this is just my personality, and I want to stay that way. That actually, like, we actually have a problem with the healing of Jesus sometimes. It's actually offensive to us, because not just for this community, but I think for many of our generation, we have actually built identities around some of our brokenness and our weakness. To the point where, in the same way, you know, the Israelites go out into the middle of the desert, and at this point where they're in the middle of the desert, between who they were as slaves and not yet in the promised land, they say, can't we go back to slavery? Because we would rather live in the dysfunction that is familiar than have to wait for the hope that is unfamiliar. And so sometimes we'll go back to death rather than hang on for life. And, and that's why I think we need to talk about this. And I really think um, the spiritual climate of this community over the last few weeks, since we decided to do this, this series, there has been enormous attack on people's um, on people's health, on their mental health, on their well-being, in a way that I haven't really seen around this community in a long time. Like we always, there's always those of us who are struggling, and that's that's totally fine. But there has been some pretty heavy resistance. And if you've felt that, I want you to know that it's more than just you. And I think it's been a real wrestle, um, a real wrestle with the principalities and powers um, to, uh, to really stop us from having this conversation. Because if we can be a church who can validate struggle and pain and say, yes, that is genuine, but also be grounded and anchored deeply in the joy of Christ, then that's awesome, right? Yeah. Like that is actually what the world needs and that is what we need. So I want to begin this conversation on suffering, um, next week Emily Painter is going to be in, she's going to continue this um, from uh, 2 Corinthians and then Roman will be the week after that from James 1, um, and um, yes, so hope and perseverance, so pain and suffering is a reality, and it's not a Christian reality, it's a human reality. Pain and suffering, like half the scriptures are about pain and suffering, because that's a big part of life. The narrative we are given in the Psalms is of mountaintops and valleys, of high places and low places, and we should expect that, not just as Christians, but as people who are alive. If you are breathing, you have hard times, right? That's how it works. Um, And in Luke 4.19, Jesus gets up in the synagogue, he reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, I have come... To proclaim freedom, I have come to set the captive free, to release the prisoner, to bring sight to the blind, to heal the lame, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus comes offering liberation from the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the social and the political illnesses of our days. He comes on the promise of liberation. That's how he sets up his whole ministry. So what I want to ask today is what does liberation look like in the heart of pain and struggle? What does liberation look like? What is the good news, the gospel, to those who are suffering? And here's what I think it's not. The good news is not suffering itself. Suffering is not the ends of the Christian faith. The good news is not suffering. In the new heaven and the new earth, we will not suffer. God does not want his children to suffer. God uses our suffering, absolutely no doubt, that when we go through this fire and when we are being cleaved from our old lives, we feel pain, and God is present in that pain, but it is not God's ultimate design that his children will suffer. It is the result of this fallen world we live in. Suffering is not the good news. And here's a controversial one for us. The good news is not that we suffer together either. The good news is not solidarity. The good news is not us hugging one another through our pain. Now, I'm not saying that's not valuable. I'm not saying we shouldn't be there for one another. But that is not the good news that Jesus brought for us. And it's not that suffering will one day end when we're all swept off into golden streets and marble archways up in heaven. It's not just hang on, grit your teeth, white knuckle it, one day the suffering will be over. That's not the good news either. The good news is this. Through suffering, Christ defeated death and rose again. Through suffering, Christ defeated death and rose again. The ultimate power in the universe, until that moment, the power of death was defeated through Christ's surrender to the process of suffering. Unlike all the messiahs or all the systems that had gone before him that would defeat through violence or greater power, Jesus surrenders and suffers and sets us free. That is The good news. And it was not vain suffering. It wasn't indulgent suffering. It wasn't pointless suffering. It was suffering. It was suffering alongside God. And there is scarcely a stronger metaphor for our faith than that of death and life through which we are changed. So, what I want to look at today is three cups that Jesus drinks from in the Gospels three cups which he tastes from. And I think they tell us something about our relationship to suffering. And the first of those is the cup of the cross at Gethsemane. So Jesus has gone to this garden before he will be taken by the soldiers, he will be put to, to trial, he will be whipped, he will be beaten, and he will be nailed to a tree. And he's in this garden. It says here in Matthew 26, 36 to 39, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, Yet not as I will, but as your will be done. So Jesus comes to this immense place of pain and suffering. And he falls to the ground with his head in the dirt, with his hands on his face in sorrow. And he begins to talk to his father about the suffering road ahead of him that he does not want to take. And he invites his father to bear the pain with him. He invites his father to walk that journey with him about um three or four weeks ago i was uh still awake i've had a real trouble sleeping this year and i was awake at about three in the morning and i don't know if you ever any of you guys have ever stayed up like way too late you can't sleep and you kind of he just gets full of all these accusations does anyone kind of experience that yeah yeah And you kind of, you know, you've got like just swirling around in your head is everything you're not. And that little interaction earlier in the day, you know, you could have done better. Or even sometimes, you know, something that happened three or four years ago, all of a sudden randomly comes up and you're like, why did I do that? And it just becomes this echo chamber, you know, it bounces back and forth and back and forth and it, it just swells to this point. When, you, you know, it's not even specific things, it's just a swell of, of contempt and self-judgment. And, um, and I was sitting on this couch three in the morning in our lounge and I, I went to the ground and, um, in a, a similar way and, and prayed to God. And it was interesting, the first words that came out of my mouth, really weird words that come out of my mouth were, Lord, I want to be born again. And I suddenly understood, you know, John 3, Nicodemus says, how will I see the kingdom? Jesus says, you must be born again. You must desire a clean slate. You must desire me, God, to come in and give another shot at this. You must desire me to show you a new way. And I said, God, I I don't know what to do here. And I felt the Spirit say, when you can't open the door of your heart, I enter through your wounds. When you can't open the door of your heart, I enter through your wounds. I wrote this uh, prayer at the time. Father, where I cannot open my heart, where I cannot welcome you in, where I'm too scared to invite you in, enter through my wounds. Enter through my sadness. Enter through my fears. Walk through every crack and crevice. Drip down like oil to the lowest, most unseen place make your home by the door of my pain and there prepare a table of faith, hope, joy, peace and love. And not all suffering that we experience, because suffering is not a Christian thing, because it's a human thing, not all suffering becomes transformative. Some does become vain suffering, where we do suffer on and on, but what we see here What I experienced and what we see Christ here doing is he drinks of that first cup, says, take it away from me, but if I have to drink it, I will, is the invitation of the Father into his pain. So I want to ask us, where do we go in our pain? Where do we go? Are we journeying with God in that pain? The second cup... It's the cup of compromise. Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two to 34, Jesus is heading to the cross. And some people come up alongside him. It says as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. So they offer him this wine mixed with gall. Gall was a kind of a a poison that had like an anesthetic, like a numbing effect to it. And it was bitter to the taste. So they offer this wine mixed with gall to Jesus so that it might numb some of the experience of the crucifixion that was to come. And he tastes it and he spits it out. Because he desires to go through... The transformative suffering. He desires not to anesthetize the journey that he is going on with the father. A few years ago, I uh, had this um, stomach surgery go really wrong, um, and I had to go into hospital, and they gave me two weeks' course of this amazing drug called Tramadol. <laughs> Has anyone here tried Tramadol? Oh, yeah. My word. That was a good two weeks, eh? Like a really good two weeks. It turns out it's an opiate, so I was just like high for two weeks. But I got so much work done; it was awesome. Um, and um, and so I I, I I sailed along on a wave of opiates for two weeks. It's like yeah. And then came off the other end of it, and you come off the other end and crash out, and then you realize, ah, oh, I'm still sick. I still have an infection. <laughs> this was just numbing me to the inevitable. And I think um, through a number of ways when it comes to journeys of suffering, the temptation – and man, all of us will understand this – the temptation is to anaesthetise it, right? Through whatever way we can. And, and I'm not talking here about prescription drugs, I know that, that many people need specific stuff for the biochemistry in their minds and different things like that. but but we go down these paths of, of, uh, you know, of, of binge-watching 10 hours of television <laughs> just so we don't have to feel the thing that is lurking back there or we, or we buy some stuff to feel better, we drink some stuff to feel better, we eat some stuff to feel better, we, we jump into unhealthy relationships to feel better. We're just taking tramadol for the suffering that we're going through. We're just holding back the inevitable thing. You know, a few years ago we used to take our young people from Zeal along to uh, Nātiaʻaua River Monastery and they had no cell phone reception and we'd get out there about four in the afternoon and the first evening there would just be carnage because without technology these young people were all of a sudden feeling everything they hadn't had to feel for the last six months. And it was like this wave of stuff that they could plug back into devices to avoid all of a sudden came crashing over and there would be like this, this re-acclimatisation process that would happen over the weekend as they begin to hear their soul again and process what their soul was saying and what God was saying. You know, they, we drink the wine mixed with gall. And you know, I think sometimes what we do or what we call Sabbath or what we call rest is actually normally numbing. That there's numbing rest and there's nourishing rest. And I think in our day and age, most of us do numbing rest. And all we do is build a higher and a higher wall that we back up the stuff behind. We back up the pain. We back up the suffering. We back up the brokenness or the sin we know we need to deal with. We back up the the, the issues with our identity. And then the moment we give it a moment, it all falls over. Someone was talking to me the other week actually saying... How often when we worship here, we all sort of eventually during worship fall down into our kind of own little spaces, you know? Like we don't really stand together the whole time. I'm not saying we should. I'm just making an observation here. But I was, I was talking to God about this and I was like, I think this on Sunday is one of the few moments where we allow the wall to break. And so all of a sudden, many of us feel the things we didn't want to feel. And the idea of having to raise our hands in corporate worship is too hard for some of us. Because we're feeling what we didn't want to feel at that moment. Some of us drink the wine mixed with gall. I know that I do. The third cup is the communion cup. It's when Jesus gathers his disciples together for the Last Supper, Matthew 26, 26 to 27, says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. See, Jesus takes this cup of the cross, And then he invites his disciples to drink from the same cup, to go on the same journey. Perhaps that's why he said, John 6.53, Unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you cannot be my disciples. Unless you too will go on the journeys of suffering and pain for transformation, you cannot be my disciples jesus invites us into the same journey of transformative suffering that he went on and interestingly when he said that to that crowd unless you eat my body and drink my blood you cannot be my disciples what did they say they said this word is too hard and there were thousands with him and all but 12 left And those 12 said the only reason we're still here is because we gave up everything and we have nowhere else to be. They said this word is too hard and I think it is too hard to follow Jesus' way. Because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our wounds or because of what the sin and brokenness of others might have done to some of us. This word just feels a little too hard. It may even feel insulting. And if what I'm saying tonight feels offensive to you, that's probably a good indication that you need to lean into that word and see what it might be saying to you. If you're feeling a little angry right now, that might be a conversation you need to have with God. And so it's a hard journey. And and what is it that might allow us to drink the cup of transformative suffering? There was this guy I love talking about, um, who, a guy called Viktor Frankl, who was an Austrian Jew, and he was a psychologist, and he ended up being taken into Auschwitz, and uh, into one of the concentration camps, and he'd lost all his notes, lost his career, and so he turned his attention in this concentration camp to examining his fellow inmates and seeing what it was that helped some to survive, and what it was that made others give up. Or die, and his book is called Man's Search for Meaning, and he comes to this crescendo in the middle of it, which just is just so powerful. And he says this, he says, Love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in the world still may know bliss be it only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. How a man still may know bliss, be it only for a moment in the contemplation of his beloved. Frankel says that a person can endure almost anything with their eyes fixed on someone precious. They can persevere And endure they can even know bliss in the middle of a concentration camp was his observation the writer of hebrews sums it up a similar way talking about christ he says for the joy set before christ he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus' contemplation of the beloved was the joy set before him, and it was you and me. That as he goes through this unbearable suffering, as he is arrested, as he is beaten, as he has a crown of thorns put on his head, as he is whipped, as he is nailed to a tree, he contemplates his beloved, you and I, and knows bliss for a moment in the most horrific of circumstances, and for each of us there must be something greater than the pain we experience worth persevering for. This thing of perseverance is not a case of harden up, it's a case of look up, it's not a case of digging deeper, it's not a case of trying harder, but our ability to persevere is as much as our ability to see Christ, whose beloved we are, and for him to be our beloved too. That is where this thing of perseverance comes from. Perhaps that's why the psalmist says, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker Of heaven and earth. It's not a case of harden up. It's a case of look up. If you're in the middle of a bog. You will only grab for the branch you can reach. You will only look. To what can save you. And it is our knowledge of Christ. Being his beloved. And him being ours. That allows us to persevere. It is a deeper revelation that is needed. Not trying harder. The heart of faithful perseverance is this. Christ drinks the cup of suffering and looks at us, his beloved, who are worth suffering for. Then he holds it out to us to drink. And he asks us to look back at him as our beloved, that we might endure and persevere too. The good news is a suffering Lord who defeated death, whom we can fix our eyes upon and so persevere in order that we and the world might be transformed. And so I want to bring two responses before us this evening um, as we begin on on this journey of hope and perseverance. And one of those, I think, a good place often to start is repentance. Because some of us, we have probably drunk the cup of compromise, the wine and gall too many times. To avoid the thing that the Spirit is saying to us, or to avoid the painful journey we know we need to go on to be whole. There might be for some of you tonight, and I know there is for me, a repentance before God and a saying, God, I have drunk the cup of compromise too many times. And then from there, I believe we want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and give us a more full picture of Jesus our beloved that as Hebrews 12 says that he would actually be the one worth running the race with perseverance for where we would not grow tired and lose heart why don't we close our eyes I'm going to give you a minute just to think on a particular thought that might be rising up for you there